Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. So tonight, as I mentioned, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and 16. And these chapters really are, they really go together because they're both related to the Ark of the Covenant. And they're related to the story where King David, and he's consolidating Israel and he's unifying the people into one strong kingdom. And it's it's an awesome time for the people of covenant of the Lord and going after it. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had previously been in Kirjath-Jerim in a tent. And uh, most of you know, but maybe not all of you, the Ark of the Covenant was that treasure chest, if you will, with the Ten Commandments in it. And going back 500 years prior to the wilderness wandering of the Jews when they came out of their slavery in Egypt, it represented the presence of the Lord. And wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, there was the cloud by day and the fire by night over it. And it would be in the tabernacle, the central place of worship, and it represented truly the presence of the Lord among the people. As time went on over the next four or five hundred years during the period of the judges and the time of King Saul, the ark is still there, but we don't really hear about being a central place of worship or of great importance like it was during the time of Moses. But David, having a heart for God and being who he is, he's all about strengthening the central identity and unity of God's people. So he has a, a capital and he wants the presence of the Lord to be there in that capital. When he went to go get the ark from Kirjath-Jerim, they were transporting it on a cart. Now, the, the ark was meant to be carried on the poles by Levites, but not just any Levites, the Kohathites, a subdivision of the Levites. And it was on the back of a cart, and it hit something, and it fell, and Uzzah reached out to keep it from hitting the ground. And because he touched the ark, which you're not supposed to do under any circumstance, in that, especially for who he was, the Lord struck him down. It kind of goes with where God says, I, I'm holy, and I must be guarded as holy as those who come to me. And Uzzah was struck down by the Lord. And so this procession with the ark on a cart going to Jerusalem, this exciting thing as David's doing it, all went south because it went bad because this happened and the Lord struck him down. And it's a powerful thing that David had to learn as well as the rest of the Israelites and the Jewish people And so we read back there in chapter 13 where it says that David was angry. He's just frustrated and angry with the situation. Like, how did this happen? And everything was going so good. And how did it end up this way? So he was angry. And then he said, how how can I bring the ark to me? And he said that out loud. And it's recorded for us in the scriptures. And as we come to chapter 15 tonight, we get the answers to how he can bring the ark to him. And we also get the overall story of these events, bringing the ark to Jerusalem, the huge festival it was, and feast for everybody, and then what happened after it. Early this week, I said to my wife, Jennifer, after the Tuesday night study, I said, you know, when you look at David's life, is there a day in his life that was greater and more thrilling and more exciting and more joyful than the day they brought the ark to Jerusalem? 
Now, as a teenager, he defeated Goliath. So that was war, that was combat, that was terrifying, and he was victorious. But for the man with for a heart after God, this had to be that day. So chapter 15 and chapter 16 are built around getting the ark, coming to Jerusalem, and what happens after that. So tonight, as we jump into the text, we're really looking at this key theme to see it through. Because bringing the ark to Jerusalem was unfinished business. And David needed to see it through. And as we go forward in application, we're going to talk about this, whether it's our personal lives, relationships, our faith with the Lord, finances, commitment to family, commitments at work, community. It could be any number of broad sweeping applications to see it through. But when you look at this story, that's really what he did. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it says that, David built houses for himself in the city of David, there in Jerusalem. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So as he built permanent homes as the king for for himself, for his family, for his administration, he set up this tent for the ark. This is important because previously he was angry, he was frustrated, and he was like, how can I do this? But this is what's important. We have setbacks. We get discouraged. Things don't go the way we thought they would. So often it's in our nature to be discouraged, to quit, blame others, or not really think about what really happened and why, and just say, ah, but David, with this task, this great task, he was determined. He had the desire and the determination and the passion to see this through. He was determined to get this ark to Jerusalem, not just for his own vision and goals and dreams with the ark, but really to the benefit of all the people, the people of covenant and a nation. And it had to be done. And you have to appreciate here in verse 1 that our story is introduced to us that the first thing he does is really take a step of faith and show his faith by setting the tent up for where it's going to go. It's important that our, our calling from the Lord, our gifts from the Lord, that walk with the Lord, that future with the Lord, we have to see it. And we have to believe it because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And it's really important when God's leading us in small things or grand things that we can see the end of it, that we can really see what it looks like. Again, referring to the great missionary Hudson Taylor, his vision was a gospel preaching mission center in every inland province of China when no one had even gone there with the gospel for the millions of souls that had not heard the gospel. And as he led his life for the next 40 plus years, he was driven to accomplish it. And before he stepped into eternity, he did. Faith sees things before they come to pass. We may not see them clearly, but we can see them. We see our glory in heaven with the Lord by faith. And we see the next thing from the Lord in front of us by faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. David setting up this tent was a testimony of his faith that there was something he needed to see it through. He had unfinished business, and he needed to complete it. That tent, who wants to be the king? I mean, all the whole nation's looking at him. It's like, why the empty tent? The longer that tent stayed empty, the more his reputation, his leadership skills, and his faith would be questioned by the people. It's good to go out on a limb in faith, and it's good sometimes to declare that faith before you can yet see it. Because ultimately, our lives glorifying the, the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be examples of faith and taking steps and actions of faith whether or not there's any tangible evidence that it's coming to pass. 
We need to build the tent for the unfinished business of the Lord, the next step of faith for the Lord. And we can't be afraid to build that tent and say, I believe. And it's, it's our availability to his ability to do things. And that, that empty tent was such a powerful witness to David every morning when he walked outside. I got to finish the job. I've got to get the Ark of the Covenant here. Joab, everybody like, hey, the, the leadership meeting, Knights of the Round Table, if you will, they're all talking about the business of the day, and they're like, hey, David, any, what do you think about the tent? It's like, what do you, it's there for a reason. And that's a step of faith right there, and it's a testimony to everybody under my leadership that we're going to walk by faith and live by faith. The tent of Obed, the, the, the previous tent where the ark had been was there somewhere over those foothills, but the ark had been put in Obed-Edom's house who's all over these two chapters, by the way. But you know, the longer the the ark is at Obed-Edom's house, the more likely you'll lose the momentum to get into the tent in your house. The longer you let something be unfinished and undone that needs to be taken care of, the less likely you'll get it done. Statistics show, studies show, that the emotion of passion to do something great at that flashpoint, needs to be acted upon, and the longer you withhold acting upon it, the less likely you'll do it. And so David had to move with urgency, and this empty tent outside his front door reminded him and everybody who was watching his faith, we're going to get this done, and we're going to finish the job. As we think about our own lives, it's a powerful image to us, that empty tent waiting for the fulfillment and completion of what is entrusted to each one of us and what God has called us to do for things maybe we've not yet finished or left undone. I speak for myself in many ways when I think about that. So again, our principles tonight are for our personal lives, our faith, relationships, work, finances, career, maybe education, ministry. It's quite likely that many of us have unfinished things that were once dreams and goals and visions from the Lord that we've maybe lost the fire for. And tonight, my hope is as we look at this text, those things will be reignited to see it through. As we look at this text, the first thing that gets our attention is to see it through and complete the thing is we need to identify and fix the cause of failure in the first place. When something's left undone or unfinished in our personal lives, it's, there's a failure, there's an incompletion, and we need to be willing to identify it and fix it. That's hard. That's self-reflection. That's well, David said, search me, O God, and try me and see if there be any evil way in me. David had invited the Lord to, in Psalm 139, to be over his life and to look closely at it and reveal it to him, to the man in the mirror, or we might say, ladies, to the woman in the mirror. Self-reflection is difficult. Especially when there's been perceived failure or an incomplete task. I've learned a lot of things about failure. I've had great failures in my life. I've had great successes and great failures. I've had great mountaintops and great valleys. I lived my dream. I won the Pipe Masters. But I've also gotten last place in the Pipe Masters. I know how to be the one that everyone's cheering. I know how to be the one that no one cares about and you go home crying. As a surf coach, I coached the worst surf team in the world at the World Junior Championships. A couple years later, I took, uh, we had a team that was made up of alternates, and we won the world championship. I know it's like to fly home with no medal, having coached the worst team in the world. Nothing against them. They gave it their best, but they were just the worst team in the world. But I know it's like to come home with a gold medal around my neck, 
on a transcontinental flight. I know it's like in the human experience to hold my dead son in my arms and the heartbreak of being alone with the Lord, sobbing in a hospital room by myself. The lowest moment a, a parent can know. But I've known the joy of dedicating Hannah to the Lord when she was born after that dark day. How can I not but cry almost every time I see Hannah teaching a Bible study in Vero Beach? Yeah, we've, we've, it's life, right? Most of you, most of you, you've been a world champion in, in a way with the Lord, all of you. The older you are, you've had that great moment where it did happen, and then you've had those terrible moments where it was the worst that could have gone. But when it comes to failure, this is what I've learned. Failure is a verb, but it's not a noun. I've had many failures, but that's a verb to describe something that happened, but it's not a noun to describe who I am. I may have lost, but I'm not a loser. And I may have failed, but I'm not a failure. Unfortunately, though, many people perceive failure personally, and they make it a noun. They take losing a verb and make it a noun and look in the mirror and say, you're a loser because you lost. There is nothing worse you can do to your self-worth before the Lord than doing something like that. Christ didn't die on the cross, so you look in the mirror and say that you're a loser. The victory of Christ for our spirit, mind, and body, and our emotions, and the totality of our life's purpose is not that any of us would come to a conclusion that we're the children of a lesser God, and our life is of a lesser value than our neighbor's. But unfortunately, failure does want to transcend from being a verb to a noun. Whereas Thomas Edison said, I I haven't failed 10,000 times, I've just gotten closer to my success through 10,000 failures. And that's for the temporal, how much more for the children of God? So I would just remind us that David's, you know, it was embarrassing for David three months before to have this big parade. They're celebrating, they're singing, it's going well. And Uzzah touches the ark and he dies. And it becomes a funeral. It went from like a wedding procession to a funeral. I mean, I mean, it just, it flipped. And everyone looked at David like, what are we doing? He's the king in it. We're told he's angry. And he's like, how can I bring the ark to me? Everyone's like, wow, what? Like everyone home, like, what a bummer. Like, like your team's about to win it all. And then they just shanked it. They snatched defeat from victory. And everyone just goes home like, I can't believe we found a way to lose that. Like, that's that feeling. Like, how did we let this, how did we, oh, it's just the worst as an athlete or a coach and in life in general. For three months, he had to think about how he felt that day. And it looked like a failure. David was in charge. You're the new king. You just unified Israel. You delegated taking Jerusalem to Joab, and he succeeded. Now he's your commander. But you, you're the, you failed, David. This is your failure. This is on you. I mean, people talk, and people talk about political leaders. Can you imagine, you know, Deborah and Shimei having conversation at the dinner table? Well, if David had just read the law, because any Levite knows you're supposed to carry it on a pole. Oh, honey, don't say that. Well, it's true. The, the cause of David's failure was pretty obvious to anyone that knew the scriptures. Maybe David thought as a king, he'd just do it the way he wanted to do it. Maybe Uzzah, because the ark had, he'd been a, a, a caretaker of the ark with his family, he'd become casual with the ark and kind of like, yeah, me and God were like bros like that. And he'd, he'd, he'd got a cheap grace and some of that, oh, bro, I got this. And he's like, no, you don't. I must be regarded by, as being holy by those who approach me. But it all went bad, and it would have been on David. David was the starting quarterback in this colossal loss. 
But David had that empty tent out front. And he said, that loss in those foothills does not define who we are going forward. And this tent right here is a testimony to it. But when it goes south and it's incomplete and it's unfinished business and you haven't seen it through and you're discouraged and you're disheartened, you have to go back and look at what went wrong, why did it go wrong, and how do we fix it? Isn't that practical? Because exactly what happens here. In the very next verse, David said, no one, David said, no, no, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God to minister before him forever. Then down in verse 11 of chapter 15, it says, And David called for Zadok and Abathar, the priests, with these other Levites. And he said to them, You are the heads of the father's house of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. Hey, there's no cheap grace when you're transporting the ark. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. And so the priests and the Levites, verse 14, sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of God, the word of the Lord. The solution, ultimately, to every problem that we encounter in our life's journey, we're going to find in Jesus, time spent with Jesus, and from his word, being led by his spirit. That's really the promise of James chapter 1, where it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it liberally. That's literally like Jesus saying, seek, knock, and ask, and if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. If you ask, you'll get an answer. And we talk about this. The business world pays big money, huge money, for men and women who can solve problems. The highest paid people on planet Earth are paid to solve problems. Like, say, the CEO of Coca-Cola makes $50 million a year. Why does she make $50 million a year? Because by solving their problems, she makes them $5 billion a year. Who's worth $50 million a year? The woman who can solve problems that makes the corporation $5 billion a year. And I've been talking about this. In the business world, this is the key, is your ability to identify problems and solve them. And this is for the temporal of time, space, and matter. But what the business world without Jesus is limited to is, as I've been saying, left brain, metrics, which is numbers. So there's geniuses that work with numbers, and they solve problems by working the numbers. Einstein, equations, numbers, compound, this, that, everything else. Numbers, numbers, numbers. And through understanding numbers, they solve critical problems with with production, shipping, uh, accounts receivable. They do metrics, and they solve numbers. And the best of them, they get paid a lot of money, and they're scouted by other companies to pay them more money to do better. But then the other element is creativity. That is the other element, is creativity. So all these people, Thomas Edison was famous for this, was his group of thinkers, that original think lab that all the big corporations have now. Thomas Edison had that idea in the late 1800s to solve the problems with phonographs, record players, movie things, the light bulb, the transit light bulb that we use. And he got geniuses together, and they sat around and creatively thought without distraction of solutions to problems to make these things work that we benefit from here tonight. That's the creativity of the right brain. And this is the beauty, because you and I might think like, well, my, I know my metrics are limited, because I tried to improve my metrics. <laughs> it just seems that it's hard. It's like me trying to conjugate Spanish verbs past tense. I just get lost. Okay. 
Now, creativity, I'm pretty good on creativity. I'm a big dreamer, so I come up with all kinds of ideas. That's my biggest problem. I see this great end thing, but I don't see the first step, and that's why Jennifer's the perfect wife. Because you be like, honey, I think the first step is this. That's right. Can you do it? Right? But the beauty for everyone in Jesus' name, no matter if you live in Pakistan or Burma or Southern California, it doesn't matter our background socially, economically, ethnically. What matters is we have the mind of Christ because Christ will give us the insight to understand what went wrong and how to fix it because we have the mind of Christ. So whatever deficiency you have with metrics or creativity, it doesn't matter. If you make time for the Lord and you still your mind and heart before the Lord, and you're like, Lord, this is my problem. What went wrong at work? She, the boss yelled at me. She's mad, and I'm afraid to go back to work, and I can't. I keep messing up the returns at Home Depot. I don't know what to do. Listen, slow it down. Let the Lord show you what to do. Because all the metrics and creativity of the human experience can't touch the genius of the God of the universe who's in our hearts through faith and guiding our thoughts by his spirit. That's an important thought to have. So don't label yourself a failure because you've had failure and unfinished business. And don't, it's always too early to quit. Always too early to quit. Slow it down and let the Lord show you the solutions to the problem. And I'll tell you where you're going to find them. By being still before the Lord and from his word. Where did David find the solutions to the problem? In God's word. He found the solutions in God's word. That's where he found them. The solutions were in God's word. He says, as, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. It wasn't that hard. It was a pretty easy uh, search and rescue mission. We're searching for the problem so we can rescue the situation and complete the process. Well, it was pretty obvious. Crowthites carrying the, the ark on poles. Now, it's not always that easy for all of us why maybe our walk's not good with the Lord. Maybe our marriage isn't good with the Lord. Maybe our relationship with adult kids is not good with the Lord. Maybe our relationship at work's not good. Our relationship with these neighbors is not good. There can be all kinds of things that have stalled that work of the Lord in our life. And the answers to incomplete things that are meant to be complete with the Lord from our life, they're going to be found by being still before the Lord and being in the word of the Lord. And he will give us the answers. Sometimes it'll be obvious, like the Kohathites carry the ark. But sometimes that still small voice will illuminate a text and it will be the key and the code to solve the Rubik's Cube of your unresolvable thing that you let stop you and is now defining you. I promise you in Jesus' name that whatever God has called you to do, and no matter how complex the failure, or the stalled element of that work is, I promise you, if we make time for the Lord and seek the Lord, the mind of the Spirit will give us, identify the problem and show us the plan for the solution. He did so for David, and he'll do it for us. And when you think about motivation for solving problems and going forward, because the world's People that go after more money, they solve problems. They get paid to solve problems, so they're motivated to solve problems and get more money because they're problem solvers. But really, we have problems and we find solutions because we're motivated by eternity and the glory of the Lord. And Colossians says that whatever we do, we do it with all of our heart is unto the Lord. So our motivation for not just giving up and quitting is because we serve the Lord and he's called us to do it. So we need to figure it out. We're not trying to figure it out for like some corporation that people have public stock in. And maybe that is your job with the Lord, so that's okay. But we're trying to figure it out because we have one life to live and soon it's going to pass. And only what's done for Christ is last, is going to last. 
So we need to not just easily abandon. Uh, a, a goal from the Lord easily abandoned is just a wish that never took traction. Man, once you know the Lord's called you to do something and you've left it undone, and I speak from my own experience, you got to go back to it. You got to find out what it was, fix it, let the Lord give you a plan, and you got to get it. Which brings us to the second point. We got to get it done. I mean, we figure out what went wrong, we come up with a solution to how it's going to get right, and then we just, it, you know, talk is cheap. The walk is everything. Verse 25, it says, David had this plan with all these Levites. And then it says, So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen as they were... You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.